From the HBA Podcast Studio in New York City, welcome to The Medium Rules. I'm Alan Baldishan. I'm delighted to be joined today in the HBA Podcast Studio by Christiane Lemieux. Christiane is probably best known as the founder and CEO of the extremely popular home furnishings lifestyle brand Dwell Studios, sold to Wayfair in 2013. Christiane's new startup is The Inside, a direct-to-consumer home furnishings brand focused on customizable, affordable furniture with a high-design, contemporary aesthetic. Christiane is also the founder and CEO of the digital textile printing company Cloth & Co. She is an author and has been a judge on Ellen's Design Challenge on HGTV. HGTV, let me try and say that. Putting it all together, in a 20-plus year career as a design entrepreneur, Christiane has pretty much done it all. Uh, Christiane, thanks very much for uh, being on the Medium Rules and uh, looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah. Um, So what did I leave out in your bio? You're also a philanthropist. You're working on a new book. Uh, What else do you have going on? I mean, I think you've got it all there. I captured it. uh, Author, designer, entrepreneur. That's pretty pretty much sums it up. And and you're an active philanthropist. I'm an active philanthropist, yes. I'm on the board of a... Yeah, I'm on the board of a a nonprofit called Every Mother Counts, which takes up quite a bit of my time. We travel around the world, and it's... uh, maternal and uh and uh child advocacy so 98 percent of maternal deaths are preventable and it's the pretty easy uh you know way to really impact um in a grassroots ways mothers and families all over the world okay so, and you know for me um a lot of the places that we're active are places that i have manufactured historically so it's kind of closing the karmic loop i feel like i'm giving back to places that have given tremendous amount to me not to mention i'm sure what you bring to the table there in terms of your background and experience of management entrepreneurship development yep would be you know pretty appreciated by that organization it's a, it's a, it's a privilege to do it. That's amazing. Okay, well, let's just a little bit of bio, sort of stepping sure. back. Um, you're from Ottawa. I'm from Ottawa, Ontario, where mm-hmm. I spent a freezing cold year in yes. 1994. Still freezing cold. It's about the coldest place ever. I'm told, I'm, I'm told it's the coldest capital in the world. I've heard that too, and in fact, um, when I was living there in 1990, January 94, my car did not start the entire month. It was that cold, which I'm sure is, and and. It was plugged into a block heater. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Yes. You can, yeah, you can, exactly. So, and then you were at Queens where I was as well. Yes, yeah. Um, and um, you did art history there? I did art history, yeah. And that sort of informed your aesthetic cow. Well, my, I wanted to go directly to design school, okay. but I had very academic parents who told me that I had to get an undergraduate degree, a BA in, of some variety as, you know, quote unquote, something to fall back on. Uh-huh. Which I don't know that an art history degree right, did it. <laughs> is, is something to fall back on. It's not on, a law but, degree, exactly. All right. But yeah, you'll take <laughs> but, uh, it. Yeah, exactly. But I'll take it. No, and I think that, that you know, that the, they weren't wrong about the fundamentals about learning how to write and learning how to research and learning how to, you know, uh, put your thoughts together in a coherent way. I mean, it, it, it did teach me a lot. And okay. I, I also think that the undergrad experience is very fun. So there's that aspect to it, too. So, and a design, I went from there to Parsons, which was way more rigorous and you know a 24 7 kind of immersion into design I don't know you know looking back I don't know that I would have been ready for that right out of high school so I think it was probably the right decision did the art history um degree kind of deepen your critical faculty when it comes to design for sure yeah because I mean the historical part of it Art history is is everything from design history to political science. It's all wrapped up into, you know, into into a visual interpretation of, of history. So it was very helpful from that perspective. And then you uh, found yourself at Portico. Then I found, so after I graduated from Parsons, um, this is another Canadian story. Yeah. A very good Canadian friend of mine. Had Miranda. Married, Miranda Abrams had married right. Douglas Abrams, who was a venture capitalist. And he had bought this furniture company called Portico. And essentially was like, what do I do with it? Um, I want to start creating product. And I, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. But I, I realized that, that, that I could take the sort of fashion slant and bring it into home. And so I was there for less than a year. Um, because the product started to resonate, and I and I thought to myself, "Wow, there's an opportunity for me to do this by myself." And so I left Portico um, and I started Dwell Studio. So at Portico, were you? What were you doing there? Were you designing the yeah. pieces? Designing, were you... designing, and 
the 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 I think the critical piece for me was I was sourcing. So okay. Douglas put me on a plane to Asia and I started this was pretty early this is in nineteen ninety nine. So uh, I mean, pretty early on. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I met with all the factories and I realized there was a lot of potential. And, you know, we're talking, yeah, it's close to 20 years next next year. So not a lot of people were in, in market doing this at that point. And so the ability to take what we were designing at Portico and have it manufactured in Asia and get the kind of margins that uh, that Douglas wanted was, was really interesting. And so I also, it was a relationship thing. I mean, once I had the relationships and they saw the quality of design, a lot of these guys were willing to, guys and girls, were willing to take a, a chance on working with me. So Portico, you know, it's an interesting, for me, um, kind of a landmark brand in a way. I mean, it really was a destination home store. It was the first home concept store. And when I you think. say home concept store, what do you mean? I mean, multi-brand, uh, point of view, curated. There wasn't a lot of that. Um, and, and that's become sort of ubiquitous now. But there wasn't a lot of that in, in you know, 1999, 2000. So I'm sort of thinking back. Uh, I guess that's right. I mean, if you were going to buy furniture in the 90s, putting aside Portico, you were doing what? You were going to Ethan Allen. You were going to Bloomingdale's. You I were going so. to these mass furniture warehouse right. stores. Yeah, I think that's you right. weren't going to a boutique. So that's a that was a pretty interesting insight. And Doug started that or how did he, that he bought he bought it from from somebody else. And but then tur- sort of turned the dial. Sort of turned the dial and yeah, opened to make up it other stores a, yeah. and you know did all kinds of pretty interesting things. Yeah. But it was it was cross category, which I think was unusual. Like I think he went to buy furniture at a furniture store, but you couldn't walk into a concept store like that and buy furniture and textiles and a candle and a soap and all those yes. things. Um, and a and book. I, and, I, and a book. About and I think design it, and, and furniture it, exactly. and something aspirational. And I think it paved the way for, uh, you know, a lot of this, this kind of quote-unquote lifestyle around home. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. It's hard to imagine, let's say, even West Elm without Portico. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, you know... Anecdotally, I remember, you know, in the 90s, if, if I would ever go down to Soho, I would always find myself stopping into that Portico store they had yep. and just hanging out. I think just felt good. I think that's right. And yeah. I think that's, that what the, that's what the behavior was. And I think that the, the insight there for me was that if you couldn't afford, you know, the $12,000 mohair sofa, you could still walk away with a, with a really great soap. Mm-hmm. Um, that was exclusive to the store and feel like you had experienced you participated. Part of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then that led to Dwell Studios, which, you know, my, by way of my introduction to Dwell, whenever I've mentioned to people today, this week, this month, that we're sitting down to tape this podcast, the reaction to Dwell Studios is still extremely immediate, iconic. Like, people remember the patterns. People remember the textiles. Yep. You really move the needle there in terms of design. Did that – let's talk about Dwell. You, how did that get started? How did, tell, me, mean, tell me a little bit about that story. And so the, I think it's, it's like all of it is fairly organic, but it's just it, – it, 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 you know, I was designing textiles for Portico, and I put them on the floor, and they really resonated. And so when I realized there was product market fit there – I, you know, for me, it was, it was about me doing it myself on my own terms. And so, um, I left Portico just to start 12 studio, you know, out of my, out of my apartment, um, by myself. And, um, I, at that point there was no, you know, venture capital or private equity or all these things. This is really a post, I mean, in a lot of ways, that that just wasn't accessible. Certainly to a not for team. the home category, no, right? I not, mean, you, there were not, there were venture backed a, companies, but they were tech a, companies. Yeah, and not for a kid who just graduated right. from Parsons School of Design. Right. I mean, no, no one was going to write me a million dollar check. Um, and I, I think largely the the sort of the, that kind of entrepreneurial climate just it was about to happen, but hadn't quite happened. So, um, and I think a pretty interesting start and then um and then you know 2008 happened but i think it's all post post um the economic crisis that that really became institutionalized in the way that it is today so 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 was 
was Dwell Studio did it ever get venture funding? Did it or was mm-hmm. it did you bootstrap it? I bootstrapped, bootstrapped it. it. Okay. I bootstrapped it. So w- w- how we did it was um, I was designing, but then I started to do private label. So my first customer client was um, was Crate and Barrel. Okay. And so did Crate and Barrel, then did Walmart.com, then did Room and Board. So designing product for all these other companies under their name, white label. Then my biggest customer was was Loblaws. So in the first year, you know, that was my first million dollar PO, was doing product development um, and actually shipping to uh, to, to Canadian stores. But was Loblaws doing home? Loblaws, by yes. the way, for people who don't know, is I know of it as a the biggest sort of supermarket grocery in, brand. In Canada. Yeah. But, but it was doing home back in the 90s? It was. Okay. It was under um, under Joseph Mimran, who did Joe oh, Fresh. Oh, Joe. Yeah, Joe so Fresh. Joe, sure. So Joe was, wow. was, was running their design and development. Um, and he's a Club Monaco guy, really. He's the Club Monaco guy. Yeah. He bought Club Monaco from Alfred Sung. Yes. Right. And so knew a lot about product development. And so I started to work with Loblaws and we started to ship in product. So and interesting. I was using my, you know, my vendor base in, in Asia that I had met. Through. This is all in the period, like, like literally in a 12 month period too. That's how quickly it happened. But, and that, and that really was, that ended up being our venture capital arm. Meaning that cash flow was able to, to allow you to, to grow, grow scale, yep. do different things. Yep basically create your own yep, label my, and your own your yep. own it was my internal it was my internal you know my internal venture capital what we're uh, looking back on dwell I mean you know the recession happened you guys kind of made it through that we made it through, well, I mean we so we were we were hit with September 11th yeah <laughs> like okay. right yeah. out of the gate yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then like you know day one and then uh, so our inflection points were uh, when we launched the the baby and kids line, which was really when the light bulb went off, and so that was in two thousand and four, and then by two thousand and seven, we were Dwell Studio. We did a secondary brand, Dwell Studio, for Target, and I think that's largely how we made it through the recession because we were in Target between seven and eleven. Okay, and then we left Target, um, went up market, opened the store in Worcester, and that that is sort of when. You know the the business model became apparent to me. I was either going to have to raise a tremendous amount of capital, roll out stores, catalogs, do all that, or think about a different way. Um, and at that point, you know, having been in the business for ten years um, and understanding inventory and cash flow and you know design cycles, it really became apparent to me that all of this was going to go online at some point mm-hmm. in the very near future. We we were online. A little bit with Well Studio, but it wasn't a significant part of our business. And you're seeing this around 2011, 12. You're starting to see this yeah. beginnings yes. of what we now think about as direct to consumer. Obviously, Amazon taking over. Yep. What were some of those bubbling signs to you? Like, what were some canary in the coal mine there of, of, of that this was coming down the pike well, and you was, better? There were so many. I mean, just because we, you know, just the proliferation of inspiration and media online and seeing how much, how that ecosystem was starting to coalesce and, and understanding that, you know, and I, I, first, I sat down with Ben from Pinterest when he was launching it and he was talking about building community. And I realized like all of this was going to happen online. And it was in, and the business that I had built as, as, as much as I loved it was not going to be the business of the future, if that makes sense. Did you at that time think about basically devoting more of the resources of Dwell to being an online company or was that just so too the, big a pivot to no, kind of contemplate? No, it wasn't that. The problem was twofold though too because once you get into furniture, there, there's two things. It's, it also becomes a logistics company. So not only was, was the sort of, the, the sort of mind share moving online, but also as we got into these larger categories, a lot of it be, became around logistics. And so I had to ask myself, like, do you want to run a logistics company? Which is essentially, I think, at scale, what some of these online platforms are, right? That especially they're selling furniture. Yeah. You are running, you are effectively running a logistics company. And the shipping- With a very, very designy front end and yeah. a media business on the side. Yeah, on the side. But, yeah. but the, the thing is, um, is the, a lot of them, like that's the holy grail. So if you, if you can ship efficiently, that's where you get a ton of the margin. And if you can't, that's where you'll just bleed out. Get crushed. Okay. Yeah. 
And so to me, it was like, I, I don't want to run a, I, I, I'm not, not, not only do I not want to run a logistics business, like, I'm just not equipped to do this. Yeah. Like, do I want to spend my time, you know, my valuable time negotiating, um, shipping rates and custom yeah, compliance and, and, and then, yeah. And then you know. like last mile experience and yeah. like everything that's around that. I mean, I, I did. I spent a lot of time with Doug Mack and some of the last mile horror stories, you know, are one King's Lane. Yeah. Doug one Mack. King's Lane. Yeah. yeah. Are the one, the, some of those the last mile horror stories were enough to like, I just, it's it just not what, it's just not what I do. I think as an entrepreneur, you have to, you have to understand what you can do well and what you can't do well. Well, you know, what's interesting. And this is, is a good segue into, um, the next part of your journey, which is Wayfair. Yep. But, um, one King's Lane and I think Wayfair were flying high and really troughed. Yep. And have really now come back, really yeah. both those companies. They both have. Um, and, and it may be the case, I and mean, I'd be interested in your, your point of view, particularly vis-a-vis Wayfair, which, which, well, let me, let me step back and say Dwell ultimately sold to Wayfair so Dwell in 2013, to- as I said in the yes. intro. Yes, um, um, and, and largely because I still believe they have the best back end in this business, and they understand, Neeraj understands I mean, not only is he like, like he's a phenomenal CEO, but he also understands the logistics piece of this in, in a, in a, you know, an incredibly deep way. And I think he understands how to move product to people. And that's a huge part of this business because I would say this to my team all the time. Like you can design the most beautiful dining table in the world. Dining tables are especially hard to move around. And if you can't get into somebody's house without it being dinged up or scratched, there's no point yeah, in doing yeah, it. Yeah. There's just no point. So how did... How did, uh, let's say, the Wayfarers and the One Kings Lanes and these home uh, brands make the transition uh, to being sort of digitally native and online and quicker turnaround times? Like, how did, what was that trough and recovery like, let's say, at Wayfair, where you joined as EVP or you, executive creative director? Executive yeah. creative director. So you really would have seen, I think, that that transition and that 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 kind of adjustment that they made to become so successful as they are now well, both how did us, they hack that so, so to speak? both of them were digitally native which is which is i think really important so yeah to begin online, with i guess to, yeah correct to, 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 yeah correct. i mean correct so i would call that e-commerce 1.0 right? right because they were both there in the beginning um digitally native brands so working from that base but i also think they had to live through um like mass shift on online and when that mass shift online happened i mean wayfair and one king's lane proved to us that consumers were willing to buy a product that the industry said they would never buy online online so it's just it it was like massive mind share and like shifting into the digital because if you think about the customer journey um especially now if i am going to decorate my kid's bedroom i will largely start with a google search Right, and it'll be, I'll look. I'll look at images. I'll look. I'll go on to different media sites and get inspiration there. And transactionally, if I find the thing that I want, I'm going to buy it online, largely. Um, and I mean, in even in 2012, and that that's not even that long ago. Yeah, like five yeah, years ago. Yeah, no, I agree. That wasn't was necessarily the case, right? Yeah. And so the, the that's why they they're primed for such huge success is that they were there. Yeah. And they waded through this huge transition, and now people are willing to buy every single category online. In fact, you know, if 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 they behave like I behave, like if that's my assumption, like I never want to walk into another store. I just that's not how I want to spend my time. And if I can browse online after hours when I, you know, when I'm not, I don't, if I don't spend my weekends browsing in stores. If I can do it between nine and eleven at night from my home, I'm much more willing to do that. I'm much more willing to transact that way. Yeah. You know, I still like the retail experience. It's just totally for a different purpose in many ways. Right. You know, it's it's more experiential. It's almost serving and I wanna come I wanna and it's an entertainment. Yes. It's yeah. almost like what the media piece is doing for the brand is the retail experiential is sort of a cousin to that. So, but you, and, but you have to be very thoughtful about how you structure your retail, right? Because a lot of the old store models, like the big, huge department store where you're bombarded with an uncurated assortment of product is kind of 
the you know the commiserate to some sort of badly merchandised platform scenario online yeah so it has to be it has to be everything it ha- if it's going to entertain you it has to be really well executed yes yes well we'll come back to that because okay. i think that's relevant for what we'll talk about vis-a-vis the inside so sure. let's 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 talk about the inside um a little bit oh, well let me but let me back up but let me ask you vis-a-vis wayfair so you left in 2017 i left in 2016 yep why did you decide to leave? Was it a burning desire to, I don't want to overcharacterize it, but did you want to sort of have another startup you wanted to do or you just wanted a break? No, I, want, I, uh, wanted, I, had, I had a whole bunch of startup ideas. I mean, okay. I, I learned a tremendous amount while I was there. Um, it, was a really, it was really a huge immersion in e-commerce. And so you know, with Dwell Studio, part of it was design, part of it was retail, part of it was digital, part of it was catalog, like direct mail. It was all these little things. I mean, being at Wayfair with probably best in class people from their, you know, from their CMO to to the, the entire team. I mean, talk about great hiring. I just learned so much that I realized that there were ways I could take what I did, utilize what I learned there and come up with a different model. Okay. Okay. And you'd done it before. And I'd so done it before. So you had the confidence and, mm-hmm. and you, you knew you had the wherewithal. Okay. Um, so. And I'm also like, at the end of the day, I'm very, very curious and I'm a problem solver. So if there's ways to radically change things, like I, I, I'd like to, I'll, I'll, I'll execute. Which is sort of a cross to bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as a glutton for punishment, you decided to do another startup. I know, it's, which is insane. <laughs> um. Tell me about um, partnering with Forerunner. Yeah. Um, getting getting started. Um, what that pitch looked like. So 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 you're now. It's 2016. You're back to the drawing board. Oh, so I spend so I spend about a year and a half after I left, kind of setting up the supply chain, which I would have needed to execute this business. Um, which is an inventory list business. Yeah. So, uh, you know, talking to my old vendors and some of the people that I work with, finding new ones. We're constantly finding new ones. We're constantly refining the s- supply chain. So doing research before you launched the startup, before yeah. you got funded? Putting all the back end. Okay. Yeah, all the back end together before. It, was that in your mind, let me make sure I can figure this out? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not taking money unless I can yeah. figure it out. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. So what did you Canadians put together? Canadians don't in- recklessly take money. That's the other thing. Like, yeah. They just don't. Yeah. Um, so I put together the supply chain. Um, and, and, and maybe break that down for me. That's, I think that's, uh, that's sort of pretty interesting. You, you, what did you connect there? I mean, it's a, it's so I, I realized that technology and, um, uh, and manufacturing had gotten to a place where I could utilize all of these interesting things like 3D modeling technology, um, digital printing, you know, 3D printing, like all of these things. And so I was carefully setting up a supply chain that utilized all of those things. Were you doing deals at the time, pre, um, let's say, incorporating the inside? Oh, egg? Yeah, yeah, or were yeah. you? So you were actually going out and saying, "I'm doing this. You're going to be this. my. What are our well, terms? Yeah, what is this? Will like, you hold hands with me and all yes, this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So doing like and, and just okay. making sure that I wasn't getting ahead of myself. Um, because you had a very specific idea of what you wanted to do and you wanted specific. to make sure you could do it, mm-hmm. which was what? What was that key insight that you were trying to kind of kick the tires on? Which I think is like essentially virtually manufacturing. What do you mean by that? So I mean like, you know, coming up with the, coming up with, um, the design, using 3D modeling to create whatever it is and having, ha- being able to output it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Outputting it meaning manufacturing, manufa- and, you're, and that manufacturing is done where? Is it done in, in the US? US? And we, okay. now we have several. We have probably five key manufacturing partners. Okay. And, they, and they're not owned by you guys, obviously. No, no, These no, are no. just in, okay. Yeah. These okay. are third-party manufacturers. So you were doing a lot of a lot of uh, road road work at the time. Yeah. You were running around, yeah. sort of meeting with manufacturers, meeting with. Yep. designers, meeting with three D three. Who does your three D stuff for you? So we have a team in Eastern Europe. Oh wow! Because okay. I, it's also that's like one of those things. It's it's equal parts art and science, and I needed to find the people that could execute on the art part. Where in Eastern Europe, and how did you find them? Um, I or is that a trade secret? Secret sauce. Okay, I'm yeah, not, don't don't. I, 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 I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry, no one will listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're like great. Yeah, it's all secret sauce. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay. There, okay. So there's fair so, enough. Fair enough. Very hard to replicate, very proprietary. Okay. Right. We're building all kinds of software to automate some of the things that we're doing. So 
you know, it's funny. I said this to to uh, to Duff when we when we first started this. Uh, this time around, I'm not building a home company. I'm building a technology company that happens to make home product. But that's the secret. That's the whole secret to, to digitally native companies. What they're doing is they're making some of these more cumbersome analog businesses frictionless online. Yeah. And that's really and th- that's largely driven by building the right technology. But you still are a home business front end yeah. design uh, yes, first. kind of in your bones, right? Yeah. I mean, you, 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 in other words, in order somebody to, didn't have a feel for home category. It would be very difficult. No, business. No. And also in order to, because if you didn't have a feel for a home category and you were m- like moving home product, I would be competing directly with Amazon or Wayfair or Overstock. And at that point, it's a losing proposition. It's yeah. a ter- horrible yeah. losing proposition. That's for sure. Because there isn't enough, you know, there isn't enough room in the market for ten of those. Um, and, and you can't outdata those guys either. You not you can't and also out-target I can't, them. I can't you out can't logistics out, them. Can't out, I can't. can't out, I can't out customer acquire them. Exactly. I can't do. But what I can do is I can out design them. Yes, exactly. And you can out instinct them. I can out instinct them, yeah. and I can out, I can out beautify them. Yes. Ten. All that the time. that to me is is that's incredible insight. I mean that that's. And so, speaking of the inside, now that's your pitch. It's interior design. Yeah. It's not interior, you know, give me a gray chair that you is in a warehouse. It's not interior here are a few lines of code either. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. So, that's your pitch. Your pitch is, uh, for the inside, is customizable. So, I was going to say how I ended up at Forerunner um, is that a good friend of mine from Queens worked at Soros on the technology. Who's that? His name is Andrew Wang. Don't Andy Wang. Okay. Anyway, and he said to me, do you know Kirsten Green? I said, no. He said, you've got to meet her. So I went out to to San Francisco, and I, I wasn't even going to raise money at that point. Um, and, I mean, she's incredible. So she, she I sat with her. I was like, made her mark, that's yeah. for sure, and direct-to-consumer. Absolutely. Yeah. Her instincts are flawless. And so you were... You were incubated there. You're part of their studio. Yes. Is that right? Yep. What was that experience like? What, what did that involve... I mean, um, was that a good experience? It sounds like it was. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, her whole team is incredible. And their instinct for direct-to-consumer is spot on. And so did you kind of, if you will, succumb there for X number of months? What was that sort of No, incubate? I never I never left New York. You know, so okay. it, was, it was a lot of... It was a lot okay. of direct feedback, a lot okay. of, I mean, she's, she's helpful all the way down to like, uh, you know, a micro level. Like she really understands UX and, you know, what the customer journey is online and how transactionally to get somewhere. I mean, we're still, I'm still, you know, whatever, a year into it, uh, synthesizing the, how much information that woman has. She's amazing. And, and did they, did they just from a, from a sort of, from a deal perspective, did they give you See the seed. resources? The seed, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I, I think that's one of the things I didn't understand. So about. They, are they are they common on the cap table? If I can ask, and if, if yeah. that's they are, so they're in effect like a co-founder. That's their she's, studio model. It's a fairly she's in effect like a co-founder. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. um, that's a that's been a very successful. I mean, the studio statistically studioed startups do better. So well, clearly, that immersion, that incentive, that alignment well, it's also is not working. Only that then you're part of an ecosystem where there's a whole bunch of other founders who are have done some of the things that you've done. I mean, even down to as granular as like, what should we do for healthcare for our employees? Because one, you know, a company is 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 equal parts the sort of internal workings and the kind of culture you put together, the people you hire, the values yeah. you have. I mean, that's just as important as the product output. And so being part of a, like, like a thought leadership is what I think she's, she's sort of, you know, responsible for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having the rest of the forerunner portfolio and now Lair, who's amazing too. So having some of these, you know, being part of these ecosystems, you have access to all the other, you know, all the other founders that are in, in e-commerce, you know, digitally native brands now. Yeah. Um, You know, it's amazing um, the extent to which, so much of the success of any business, but certainly in early stage, um, even in this business, even in our law firm business, is keeping balls in the air so that everyone has what they need to have, whether it be healthcare, whether it be, you know, just every logistic detail, sort of like keeping a household in the air. 
Yeah. Like somebody's got to think about getting new, getting groceries. Somebody's got to have dinner ready. Somebody's got to, you know, have the kid. And th- those elements sort of are can 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 sink a company if you don't have the right absolutely team. And also, and also so to have that you have to be thinking about that. I mean, about to be in New York in the same way as in San Francisco because the talent. There's a talent shortage. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest problem now. And the talent's going to be eaten up by the companies like, you know, like Facebook and Google who have incredible benefits, who are feeding their employees all day long. I mean, you know, the, the stories around uh, at Airbnb are legendary, you know, like full hot lunches every day just in order to keep the talent. So you have to really think about, and I don't think that's necessarily the case even five years ago. Yeah. It's just that, and especially engineers and things like that. So, like our whole engineering um, our team is is offshore, because I can't pay the same thing. And especially now that Amazon's coming into town, I can't pay what Amazon pays for their employees. Yeah. Um, although I did poach a very good employee from Amazon. Oh, nice, <laughs> yeah, nicely yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kudos. Um, and I told them yeah. I'm going to take all my employees from their employees. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just think. Um, you know, when I think about the successful startup CEO, it's sort of like to me, you know, and I, I use this analogy, it's like an NFL quarterback. It's, it's a very rare mix of skills and talents. You've got to have the creativity, you've got to have the leadership skills, you've got to have the drive, and you've got to be organized to keep the trains running on time. Yep. But you know, also you, and not, not one of those can fall down. You also have to hire into your weaknesses very fast. Which is much easier said than done. Much easier said than you done. Know, uh, yeah. Much easier said than done to recognize those weaknesses, to find the right people, to have the right people be motivated, happy, um, not have stuff go on in their lives that sinks the ship right. so that they start the, not showing up. Yeah, it's it's the, very well, tough. The, my 2.0 takeaway is that the first time around, I tried to do everything. Um, and uh, largely because I, I, it was such a scrappy startup. The second time around, I, I'm, I'm trying to get people that are much smarter than me into my business as quickly as possible. And you're much more established, and in, in, in you've got somewhat of a, so to speak, unfair advantage given you know, all you've accomplished. So, you know, you, you, you generally would I expect... I, I don't think it matters anymore because well, I think that, I think that the, the playing field gets leveled so often now that... That your game's up here, but your game has to be up here. That's table stakes. It has to to be. You just have to keep going because everything, the way people market gets, you know, the businesses that are very successful, the digitally native businesses that just predate ours by five years, you know, they got, their customer acquisition costs weren't the same because they got to use Google and Facebook and a bunch of different platforms in a completely different way that we do. That's totally changed. That's not, that's not an option for us. It's too expensive. Yeah. So we have to be very crafty. So you can't even, you can't even hand the playbook off because it gets rewritten for you almost on a yearly, like, I don't even monthly basis. So talk about the inside a, a, a little bit more in terms of, um, well, a couple of things. You know, how would you identify your customer and, and sort of your, your, one of the things I think that's interesting about the inside that you've talked about is how you are, and I think it's pretty disruptive, is sort of blurring the lines or taking advantage maybe of capitalizing on and pushing forward the blurred lines between trade and consumer. Yep. That's one, I think, key element about the inside. So mm-hmm. what what does that mean to you when I say that? What, what is that? What, what's your insight there, well, I guess? I, I, I think my insight is the following, um, that... I think largely the the trade is changing very quickly because consumers have so much access to information. So it used to be trade secrets, you know, trade vendors, trade, and that's all going away. So at the end of the day, I think that the trade is looking for a frictionless experience to get product to their consumer. But the consumer, it's not like you can, you know, buy something from Baker and that your consumer is not going to know how much it costs. Like it used to be, there was a whole you know, secret mystery, nebula, mystery around yes. trade. And the problem with the, with, with, you know, the availability of information is that that mystery is gone. And so I think the trade, um, who is a huge part of our, what I want to do is service her first. How can I make her or his job easier? Um, and how can I help them transition into this new world where, where they get, where the value that they bring is in their design and less in uh, in in their secret sources. In their secrets, exactly. Yeah, and so yeah. I think largely they're going to become much more like professional professional services. So paid by the hour, um, they're going to take advantage of their discount. 
the problem is the consumer now knows they have a discount, so they want that to be reflected in what they see on the statement. They don't want you know this this nebulous money to go somewhere else. And so cu- customers also access to the trade. I mean. Everybody wants their house to be Pinterest-worthy now, whether you have a $10 million budget or a $10,000 budget. So there's a lot more There's a lot more market for the trade, too. And so allowing them to expand, and, and then as a result, there's a lot more trade because Americans are wanting interior design services. They want their homes to be beautiful. They spent 10 years watching HGTV. They spent five I mean, years... Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. They spent five years pinning their favorite product. And I think it's it's just wide open now. So really, really thinking so about that. So in comes the inside to say you so so we you you're sort of fusing trade yeah. and consumer. Yeah, I'm gonna digitize the trade experience um, and allow designers across the country um, to have access to uh, design center experience, but digitally. And is the key to that? Um, hack so to speak that fusion that 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 disruption from your perspective the customization is it the what 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 are the elements of that i think a lot of it is the customization okay i think a lot of it is bringing designer you know i mean really expensive looks to a supply chain that is that is much less expensive it's also we're drop shipping so we get rid of the whole white glove thing i mean i don't know that that's going to be forever but for right now it's a big part of our business so if you are moving into your apartment in new york you don't have to schedule nobody wants to sit around waiting for their sofa to be it, it gets delivered to your doorman or to your door and there's minimal assembly and you have something that's really you know that is personalized to you that has fabrics on it that you would find in a design center and at a price point that you would find, you know, at, 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 at you know, a mid-level or lower uh, retail store. Mm-hmm. How are you guys handling, let's say, returns, mm-hmm. damaged goods, given the customization? What, what's that What's that look like? So we largely, I mean, it, it, they're, they're quite small and we, we take them back. You just and, take them back and, and that's the answer. And, and I mean, you know, we, we donate them. So there's a philanthropy part of this business too. How is that uh, sort of tracking? Is it is it about what you expected? It's is about it more what we expected. Of a, okay. There's pretty, there's industry standards and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's tracking. It's sort of tracking that, yeah. that sort of uh, yeah. whatever the, the, the standard is. Okay. Um, the other, the other uh, I think, aspect of the inside, which is, Certainly, a characteristic of direct to consumer is the is the um, the emphasis on doing media. Yes. Um, and I thought you said something that was really interesting in uh, something I listened to. It was a podcast or a YouTube video, um, and you were talking about how me- how how you really can't how media allows your customers to feel like they're part of the brand mm-hmm. and that they participate in the brand. What kind of media are you guys doing, and how do you see that going forward? Um, I mean, we're we're trying everything. So we uh, we have a magazine which we you know which we write for and publish content. We are starting to syndicate some of that content. Okay. We do Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook. I mean, uh, sort of everything. Um, because you have to meet the customer where he or she is, and sometimes that's you know right there on instagram and sometimes it's not and so sometimes we you know we're in we we speak we're in the house forum mix and we're playing with reddit right now i mean with okay. with everything because there's a lot of there's a lot of customers for this product in in this country it's huge um and we just, we've got to just find them where where they are and th- so much of the interior design experience is educational right so if you want if you're you know if you if you want life hacks and you don't want to hire somebody from home polish or havenly or you know one of these design platforms and you want to figure it out your, yourself i mean the behavior is you can go into these forums whether it's on house or on reddit or wherever else and you can start asking questions and those questions will get answered and so if I, you know, if we can educate people and answer their questions and then provide them with product, then we can help them create the spaces of their dreams. Are you guys doing any influencer marketing? Have you started any of that? We're we're testing it. Okay. Um, What's is, your take on influencer marketing? I think it I think it works really well in certain categories. This is a, like this is a different category because 
it's one thing to get a lipstick and try it on or, you know, unbox. This is not really an unboxing kind of situation, nor is it something that's as disposable as a, as a lipstick. Like if we're going to send an influencer a sofa, we want to make sure that that's what they want. So it's, it's a, it's a slightly different it's proposition. And also, even if they have a headboard of ours, like they want to make sure everything's styled really beautifully before they take a picture and give us UGC. So it's a, it's a, like a different thing. It's, it's, a much more considered purchase. Like I, I, I think you can you can do. Our influencer strategy is more around collaborating with people and producing product um, with their designs. So this is really your collaborator kind of yes take on kind of yes. on, on on partnering. On you, partner. you you guys have designers. We're not asking but... them to wrap our product. We're asking them to create their own. Which is to create their own designs and their own and their own pieces. Yeah. And then to speak speak authentically to their communities because I think it's all about authenticity. Sure. I, you know, I, when I look at some of my favorite influencers who now do nothing but sell their feeds, I'm less inclined to be influenced by them. So I think it's like a tricky thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 actually did a we we taped I think a pretty interesting podcast about that, and really about influencer marketing and you know really the the, the theme is authenticity. You can't have people stepping out of who they are um it just won't be interesting it won't yeah it won't do it won't get any traction you know when some of my favorite um home personalities start to sell fridges or vacuum cleaners it becomes much less you know yeah. it, it, you can you can kill your brand very quickly yeah yeah you can sort of see right through it people oh, don't yeah. want that um what's your take on the competition um you're you've got obviously the big boys You've got Amazon entering this, the home space mm-hmm. in a big way. Very good. Obviously, you've got um, you know Wayfair. You've got the West Elms, Crate and Barrels, Pottery Barns, and then you've got the online only guys like yep. Floyd, etc. Yep. Um, where do you guys sit? How do you see that shaking out? How? What do you have to run fastest on in the next, let's say, twelve to eighteen months? How are you thinking about those guys? So we, we really think of it from a perspective of design. I think a lot of the D2C companies that are that are that have started, you know, with us or before us, uh, are largely solving for convenience. So it's like, how do I get okay. my, you know, I mean, I think Amazon's largely solving for convenience right now. Not to say that I, I mean, I, yeah, I have no, no doubt they will nail this, um, but I think it's it's like, how do I get a chair into my into my apartment in two days? We're not solving for convenience. We're we're kind of next level where where I, I believe the real business is. It's like, I have this new place and I want it to be beautiful and reflect me. And here are my options. And this is a, this is a, a custom option which doesn't exist anywhere else. That's really interesting. And, you know, you, you, <laughs> you know, it's so intuitive to say where we think we're going to win is based on design. And here I am, Christian Lemieux, you know, heavily you know uh, very very rich resume with respect to de- you are a designer, I'm a designer and that's how you're going to win um because i go makes I, sense. I, say this, I say this all yeah. the time it's called interior design yeah it's not called yeah. interior gray yeah. chair yeah and the stuff looks beautiful so it do- it really does um that's a that that's very compelling very 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 interesting um i, I mean the the to me it has to be dead simple yeah i mean yeah, that's the through line. In terms of, and, and we talked a little bit about the be- at the beginning about the experiential component retail. Um, I know at one point, and, and I think no, no longer, maybe you can tell us why, you had a physical space, a showroom, collaboration compound. Yes. You're not doing that anymore. Is that something that you're interested in in yeah. restarting? Yeah. Because yeah. I thought that was actually pretty interesting what you were doing there. It, was, it was great. Um it just required somebody to manage it, like an office manager, and that's we just it's just not what we want to spend money on right now. Okay. Um, I think we could easily do that all over again. I mean, there are also structural issues with the building we were in. Okay. Okay. Was largely the problem that they had a quasi non-functioning elevator, and we were on the sixth floor. That will so hurt it your ended, cause. In- oh my god! It ended up being like a six-floor walk-up. So not yes. only did it hurt the cause, the underlying cause. Also, my employees wanted nothing to do with it. Right, they were hating you. Plus, we right. couldn't we couldn't you know get our seamless deliveries ever. So non-starter. So it yes. was a, that was a 
when things are too good to be true, especially from a real estate perspective, they are too good to be true. So yeah, would we do it? I mean, but now we're in a shared work uh, space. Some they, they take care of the printer and the front desk and the concierge and the water and everything. And it allows us to focus. I mean, it's so amazing. I, I, I sort of can't get over it. And I can't understand now why anybody would ever have a traditional office. Um, just because we're so flexible. I mean, we literally, and I, Duff was laughing about this. We, we were like, we can't do this. It's unsustainable. We left our, we broke our lease and on a Friday and we're in our shared workspace on a Monday. And that was it. Amazing. Zero, and that, that is part of the underlying yes, thesis of how the world is changed. Yeah. It's because of cloud computing, we no longer have a server room. So we, we, it's a bunch of people on a laptop. And we ha, you know, we ha, it, it was so easy for us to just pick up and leave. Which is something that you actually evangelize about, which is sort of this work I, home. I evangelize yeah. about it because I, I also realize – you know, especially when you're a scrappy startup, you have to go where the talent is. And so I, I can, you know, I have somebody in Turkey who's working for me and people in Eastern Europe. And I have, you know, my, one of my favorite textile designers is upstate and I mean, all over the place in Vermont. Um, so it, it really, it really, it's very efficient. It works very well. Would you come back to retail? Is that something that is on the drawing board or on the roadmap for you guys to have? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But experiential retail, like exactly what you're talking about. So I imagine retail for us looks like a design studio. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about uh, the retail as a service businesses, the neighborhood goods of the world? Is that something that you guys might take advantage of? We're What's... in neighborhood goods. Oh, you guys are in neighborhood goods? Yep. Oh, yep. okay. There you go. I thought I did all my research, yep. but clearly are, I missed we that. We are. We're okay. in, we're in... And how's that working? I think it's great yeah. so far. I mean, and they're a forerunner company, aren't they? They are goods. Okay, yeah. Yeah. so there's a nice relationship right yes. there that comes yeah, out so of that ecosystem. Yeah, so it's a good cohort too. Yeah, so, the, yeah. so my co-founder just went to Texas to open the first store. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. In Plano. Yeah. Wow. Um, but that's where the only one is, right? That's Currently? the only one. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and 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 overall, you're happy with how the inside's doing. I mean, I'm sure there are massive challenges, but sort of doing what you hoped it would do, and sort of getting the trades interested and and you're seeing sort of that kind of take yes. off yes yes i mean i think you know the the biggest challenge to uh to any kind of startup now especially in the consumer space is mindshare because there's so much you know we're bombarded every second with a you know largely yes. like a one skew company you know you'll see you know whether it's a vitamin or something Quip. i mean yeah constantly yeah Peloton. On, yeah. on places like instagram so it's getting consumer mindshare, but th- this isn't a one. This what we're doing is it's not a one skew industry. It's not a one skew business. So really trying to be thoughtful. You know, our biggest our biggest challenge oftentimes is, you know, not get it, saying to everybody we're, we're, that's not what we are. You know, we're we're trying to do something. We're trying to change the way an industry thinks. We're not a one skew company. Do you have a? a, a you've built a, an impressive team. Um, which I'd be interested to hear just some thoughts on in terms of building that team. Is there anyone on that team that is like you that is a design first person in addition, obviously, to your entrepreneurial chops? Yes. You know, as we discussed, you're really a design mindset person. Yeah. Um, We have a creative director who who works with me, yes, who thinks about nothing but design Um, and, and, you know, merchandising, product assortment. What, How's that collaboration going between you and that, oh my God. And that person? She, she, I mean, she, I've known her for years. Okay. So she helped me research my last book. And okay. she's a design historian. So it's going very well. Oh, that's great. Um, wow. It's, and also, so it's like a matter of trust. You know, yeah. I could, I can let her run with some of the things that I, I can't focus on on a day-to-day basis, which is, you know, something I learned the, the hard way with my last company. You really have to... As a CEO, you have to get out of the weeds. If you're stuck in the weeds, the company doesn't go anywhere. So my job is to think, you know, five years ahead and make sure that I'm constantly structuring that that the the whole setup for success. Which is much easier said than done. Much easier. You said have than done. to have a great team. I mean, I, you yes. have to you have ha- a great team, and you have to also be able to let go, which is also not that Very easy. Very hard, but I'm doing it this time. Okay. This is, this is yeah. like, that's like my mantra every day. Let it go. Get out I'd of like the I'd like to take some weeks. lessons from you on get that out of the because weeks. I get cannot do it. You here. have to. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you're working on a new book. Yes. Um, we've mentioned Duff's name, Duff McDonald. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, 
I guess, co-author. It's my co-author, yeah. Um, Duff is a pretty well-known, prolific business writer. Yes. Uh, this is a, you would characterize it as a business book. It's a book about entrepreneurialism. Yes, it is a business book. Yep. Okay. And it is... There are uh, no pictures of furniture. There are... <laughs> or furniture or interiors, well, for that matter. you in. I mean, give the people what they want here. <laughs> it is not a coffee table book. It is not a coffee... Um, what, uh, what are you guys tackling together here in terms of, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of books about entrepreneurs. Is it, is, is it a how-to? Is it a lessons learned? Is it a... It's all of those things. And so, so basically the, the underlying premise is that... Uh, because of a few a few sort of underlying macro things, I think the financial crisis being one of them, you know, cloud computing being another, uh, the advent of Amazon in a very big way being another. Uh, the way the way startups think and act is very different now than even you know five years ago. I mean, cloud computing is, that's the reason I could leave my office on a Friday and be in a co-working space on Monday. It's because everything is, you know, financial services, uh, for us design, everything is in the cloud. And so it allows us to be very nimble. It also allows us to work with people in places that we never would have been able to work with before because now there's all these platforms that allow us to do that, um, even if it's just Google Hangouts. So thinking take taking all of that and sort of putting it into the i guess mental blender it, it just looks very different now than it did especially for me from my vantage point of having started a business you know a good 12 years ago or not even 18 years ago um and then ha having built it in a in a kind of a, a slow methodical way which is what, how you had to build businesses back then because there wasn't the visibility of the internet and then spending some time at Wayfair and understanding, you know, just from a marketing perspective and a and, and a you know pure e-commerce perspective, what that looks like, and then what what entrepreneurs are are faced with now and how they're solving those problems, um, and I think largely where we are today is going to be very indicative of what the future looks like versus where I was the first time around. So, what are sort of the, some of the the traits that you would pull out of that that to be successful? I mean, you've been successful both in analog world mm -hmm. and digitally native world. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of those traits that you would point to? Is it open-mindedness? Is it curiosity? Yeah, it's open-mindedness. Is it quick study? Curiosity, uh, uh, creative problem solving, which comes up over and over and over again. It is uh, it is the ability to, to you know, pivot constantly um, which is a word I hate, but you end up having to do that because you know what, if, if, and this is on a dime too, because if, you know, Instagram changes an algorithm Cut and all of a sudden, you gotta, you, you've gotta, you've got also, you've gotta have like a million balls in the air, as you say, like side hustles all over the place, because what we're really doing is testing into every channel because nobody can hand you the playbook now. Right. And, and as an entrepreneur, you, it's not like, you, you know, you can read, I, I don't know, a, a book that was written 10 years ago and it's going to help you figure out how to get your business off the ground. Now you have to write your own playbook. And that's a very different type. Got to be willing to experiment too. You have to be right? iterate, iterate, iterate. And you have to be yeah. really nimble. And you have to, you know, like all these things that I thought were so corny, you know, failing yeah. fast. But it's all, it's true now. I mean, you really have to. Things are moving 20 times try. faster. Yeah, yeah, you have to try. If it doesn't work, just move on. Like yeah. cut and run. And I think that's a huge part of that. And and you have to not be afraid of change at all. Like you really have to embrace change. You have to go looking for it. Yeah. And, and I think you've got to be very media centric as well. You have to be very media centric. Um, and and would you, I mean, in, in, in identifying the traits of a CEO is going to be successful there. What are those traits? Is that somebody who's got experience in media? Is that somebody who just from a personality perspective can put themselves out there? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, we, we, we actually did a, did a podcast on direct-to-consumer. We were talking a lot about Quip. And, you know, Simon Endiver, the CEO, is their spokesman. He's yeah. their guy. But you know, you, I you mean. Ha you have to be because it's authenticity too. You so you've got to be authentic. You have to be authentic. You can't hand your brand off to somebody else. I mean, it used to be you could have a celebrity spokesperson. That, that's meaningless now. Um, you can collaborate. Uh, and I think that's a collaborative is a very big part of it. I, 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 I think there, you know, a, a, a successful CEO also has to be, 
has to know what they know and really assemble a great team. It have it be really collaborative. I think that you know the sort of standing in the boss's office and expecting everybody to be to to, to sort to, of run around and get things down. Is, done. Is, is yeah. not yeah. is not doesn't work anymore. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't work. Um, when can we expect this book uh, to hit October stores? October of 2019. Okay, so, so you got soon. your work cut out for you. Okay, we're we're you're, you're, we're deep into yeah, it. Yeah, nose to the grindstone. Yeah. Um, what kinds of people are you meeting and interviewing? Are you sticking with tech? Or are you going just broad, broad, broad? Broad, broad, broad. Okay. So, for example, yesterday we talked to a fintech company. I mean, everything. Everything from even to people who built their businesses on, you know, um, QVC or HSN. So really understanding. Uh, but, but, but at its core... All of these businesses have a digital component now okay. um, because they have to. I mean, okay. you know, people are saying that traditional publishing is dead and that it's all shift. You know, everything is shifting to to digital platforms. They just are. So even the most traditional businesses, I mean, the ones that are going to succeed are digitally savvy. Sounds really interesting. I mean, good luck with that. That's a huge project to take on, but um, worthy. And I'm sure you're learning as you go. I mean, yeah. so it's a, that's, that's so, actually kind of a nice way to cheat. I, it's a, like, yeah, it's, I, mean, it's, no, I had no idea, but it's a super secret way to cheat. Yeah. Because I'm getting, you know, every single I'm, It's sort of, I'm, I'm cheating now. I mean, yeah. I, I do this. It's the same idea. Yeah. You know, the amount that I absorb talking to, you know, the people that come on, it's a similar idea. I mean, yeah. you get that sort of side hustle benefit. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, what do you think would be next for you? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, um, five years out, 10 years out, writing, teaching, uh, more businesses. I think, um, I mean, I, you, I, I, I wish I could tell you about the meeting <laughs> I had before this one. Um, okay. I would say that I, I think investing okay. would be yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure. setting up now that I know what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, teaching, I think writing, I think all of these, I mean, all of it. It's, it's so, be, because I think it's, all of this is like, foundational builds on top of itself yes. and so you know if, if you're willing to be very open-minded and experiment and pivot and put yourself out there and f- succeed and fail and fail mostly y- you you gain a lot of experience have you done any investing in early stage I have. today you have yeah. okay yeah. how's it going um so far gr- so great far so bets. good yeah oh good yeah. Right, great. <laughs> yeah. okay um but I, but I would only see for me I would only inv- I would invest in what I understand um, and so the consumer experience and, you know, especially the reason I think that Kirsten has been so successful is that, um, you know, a lot of this is, 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 is purchased by women. So, um, you know, whether it's fashion or beauty or a lot of the, a lot of the digital home, native, I guess, home. to some extent, Absolutely. Sure, yeah. so, you know, coming from, from that perspective, I think it, you know, because you are the customer and once you're the customer and then you understand like the you know, business fundamentals, it gets a lot easier to make smart bets. Do you ever see yourself moving back to Canada or are you a lifer here in New York, do you think? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'll move back to Canada, but I could see myself going to Europe for a while. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Would you move back to Canada? I mean, um, I, love- I would. I would, um, particularly what's going on here now mm-hmm. these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might drive me back there <laughs> before sooner than I uh, would have thought. But, um, you know, it's... Uh, we, you know, of course, the grass is always greener, but um, things just seem so much more relaxed up there whenever they, I'm up they there. They are. I just want to be it's everywhere. less conflict. Yeah. I just yeah. want to be everywhere, though. Yeah. Um, because my parents live in Paris part of the year, and that's kind of great. And it's just... Well, of course, in, in, in who you are and what you do, that's yeah. such a perfect place, too. I have to go where the inspiration is. I think yeah. it's also... I, I believe that's how our kids are going to experience the world, too. Because if you think about it... There, you know, when we, I mean, part of the reason for the inside is because people are moving much more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, apparently the stat is people will move seven times in the first 15 years of their post-college career. It may be New York, it may be Beijing, it may be Dubai. So it's not, it's going to, it's a much more global experience. Um, you know, I heard, we heard some crazy stat that people have 29 jobs in their life, our kids. A lot of that is like side hustles because, because they may, you know, you, you are, a lawyer and a podcast host and uh, for all I know you could be an eBay seller and have an incredibly influential uh, Instagram account you know that you can have I mean I already have I have 
four jobs currently. I'm writing two books. I run a startup, and I have a legacy licensing business. That is the new way. It is know? the new way. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, you know, we talk about this is something that's near and dear to Duff's heart, but the sort of gig economy. I mean, f- I don't know. We had some stat by 2023 that 50% of jobs are going to be self-created. So that's half the population is an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it is sort of incredible to think how different it is. Uh, today than it was 20 years ago, let's say. Because you know, I, you pretty much had a job. That was it. You didn't think about all these other things. Nope. You know, you weren't you weren't thinking about your social media. You weren't thinking about doing media. You weren't thinking about really pretty much anything else other than what was right in front of you and your family. Right. That was it. So you you could you you get a job, you buy a house, you yeah. stay there, and you retire. I mean, that's why shop at Bloomingdale's and exactly. So think it. about our world. You used to buy your home, decorate it once, and now that's why it's such an interesting category, and that's why all these you know big players are going after it. It's because you may move five times, and you're gonna probably want to redecorate your space every time. Yeah, and price point's got to be key there too. Price point is right. key. Um, well, listen. On that note, Christian, I want to thank you. This has been fantastic. Um, hope you'll come back and. I will you know, come back. give us an update on how the inside's doing, and and maybe when the book comes out. When the book comes out, you'll have to have yeah, Duff we'll and have I, you and Duff on to talk we'll about t- that. We'll, t- we'll talk about. Uh, I mean, there's some pretty interesting key learnings there. Yes, sounds great. Okay, good. Thanks. Well, thanks, Christian. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. That's a wrap on this episode of the Medium Rules with Alan Baldishin. For more information, go to our website at www.hballp.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.